welcome back everybody to Arts Rock Kentucky Stories. I'm Sam Kirby. I'm excited to continue being your host. They continue letting me do this for some reason. So thank you for letting me be here. Before we get started, we'd like to thank the Kentucky Department of Education, Office for Special Education and Early Learning, and the Kentucky Arts Council for making this and many other Arts for All Kentucky related things possible. So thank you. I've got some folks here with me today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and then we're going to jump right in. And you all can decide who's first. I am Kelsey Tullis. I've been working with Arts for All in independent contract work for the last four years. I teach at a local studio in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and also Franklin, Kentucky. And I do some work with The Nutcracker that will be at Skypack soon. And also I'm choreographing a musical at Skypack. I love what I get to do. I have the best job in the world. That's great. And my name is Precious Perez. I am a pop Latin R&B singer songwriter and... I am new to Kentucky, new to Arts for All, so new and incoming teaching artist and very excited. In addition to being vice president of Recording Artists and Music Professionals with Disabilities, also known as RAMPT, I work at Children's Academy Daycare and Preschool here in Louisville. So, so you have a lot of, of different free time. things. Yeah. A lot of different things I'm doing, but you know, <laughs> I'm very excited about all of it and just grateful. <laughs> That's great. Well, welcome to Kentucky. Thank you. We're excited to have you. So we're going to start broad and then narrow down. But the first thing, and this will be an opportunity to also kind of detail your art form, but what inspired you to get involved with creating arts opportunities and making arts more inclusive and accessible specifically throughout, you know, your experience or education or career? What initially kind of drew you to not just the art form, but going that extra step and broadening you know, the possibility for more people to be involved with that art form. I have always had a passion for inclusivity when it comes to dance. As a child learning to dance, I always thought it was the best thing in the world. And so getting to share that with people that speak different languages, people that have different abilities, that's always been really important to me. I received a double BA at Western Kentucky University in Arabic and in dance because my dream has always been to teach dance to refugees. And I feel like Arts for All is another way for me to bring dance to a different community. Maybe people that speak English or people that don't speak at all. That's great. What about you, Precious? Yeah, for me, I am a disabled artist and a disabled educator. And, you know, a lot of times when we think about inclusive education, we think about the only the students. And that's so important to think about inclusivity for the students. But also, I think because there is such a limited amount of disabled educators, it's not something that's talked about. And for me, needing to navigate industries and fields that weren't built for me as a disabled artist and a disabled person in general, it's really brought my passion to the forefront for continuing to make sure that the narrative changes in a positive direction. So I'm very passionate about arts for everybody and everybody should be able to have access to art. And if you want to teach art, you should be able to do that. And then also, I'm Puerto Rican and I'm a native Spanish speaker. And, you know, part of what contributes to education barriers is language barriers. So I relate a lot to you, Kelsey, when you say like Arabic and wanting to make sure that people have access and refugees have access. I really want to highlight diversity and, you know, I represent all of these communities, but I also want these communities to be able to represent themselves and give them the power to express themselves, whether that be English or Spanish in music and in arts. So Precious, I think we just became best friends. 
excited. We didn't tell you all, but yeah, before lining up the podcast, this was more of a strategic placement. We wanted you all to really get to know each other. Um, it worked. I'm <laughs> so excited. So, Precious, I got a follow-up question for you. Yeah. What sort of barriers exist as it relates to ability in your art form? So in music, what sort of things, generally speaking, unless they're planned for, kind of stand in the way? Overall universal accessibility. When you think about music award shows, they don't have ramps readily available all the time. Venues, some people in wheelchairs can't get into them. What I do as part of Ramped is advocate for not just blindness, but for all disabilities within the music industry. And there are a lot of barriers with accessible venues, like having braille on things, having self-description. So when somebody's on stage, hi, I'm this person. For example, I'm a Latina woman with curly hair and I'm wearing this nice blouse, you know, like just very quick and very simple, but it's a way for a blind person to understand like what's going on and what's happening. Audio description, ASL and captioning, all of these things that are kind of an afterthought currently is what we're trying to bring to the forefront as far as changing that and making the industry accessible for artists and for musicians with disabilities. A lot of people would assume that music, for example, is something that is pretty wide open for people that are blind, for example. But mm -hmm. it sounds like the more you think about it, the more you think about venues and the experience of going to enjoy music, there's still things that stand in the way that, yeah. that don't make it the and best even experience. even as performers, equal pay as a disabled performer. Some people will say like, oh, you're getting exposure. No, I am a disabled performer, but I'm a professional and I deserve to be treated as a professional. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kelsey, thinking and kind of pivoting over to dance, I think maybe initially there's, because dance is generally more of a physical medium, there's an initial assumption of what sort of ability challenges you might have to overcome in doing dance. But tell us a little bit about some of the barriers and some of the things that uh, you generally can help people overcome to give people the opportunity to dance. So the reason Precious and I are going to be best friends <laughs> is because dance has a lot to do with your relationship to music. And so even if someone is not able to stand on one leg and do an arabesque, that doesn't mean that they can't dance and have that relationship to music. And a lot of dance is how you move your body and how you're able to move your body to a set of music. So a lot of what I do is we work with scarves and different mediums like ribbons and hoops, things that anybody can associate with and use and really something tactile. I've noticed that's really helpful. I've worked with kids that are blind or kids that are hearing impaired all the way to kids that maybe only have mobile use of their digits and are in wheelchairs and everybody is able to enjoy dance. But that doesn't mean it looks the same across the board. It doesn't mean that they enjoy it the same way across the board. So it has been quite a struggle to figure out the different techniques that I can incorporate to give everybody an equal chance to enjoy dance the way that they should. But everyone dances. I mean, we dance in our dreams. We dance when we close our eyes. Mm. We dance when we have a conversation. Every time that you are interacting with someone else or with a piece of music or even with just the percussion of like closing a door, yeah, that's dance. And choreography happens all day long. So I love the thought that I can show somebody that they have been dancing their whole lives already. The biggest struggle with having students that have disabilities come to a regular dance studio is that like, for example, the one that I teach at in Bowling Green, we have a very large set of stairs. That's not 
wheelchair accessible. Um, mm. It's really hard for someone that is blind or that is sight impaired. It, it would be really difficult for them to navigate 30 plus stairs. On top of that, it's a lot of sensory overload. And I've noticed that most of the students I've worked with in elementary schools that are in special ed classes, it's a combination of multiple different abilities and disabilities that they have. And I just have loved being able to coordinate with their teachers and see what each group of kids actually needs from me. Right. Because it is different. No matter what classroom you go into, no matter what child you're dealing with, they are going to have different needs, whether they are considered to be disabled or not. When you have the opportunity to eliminate or reduce barriers for students or whoever you're interacting with, what do you think that does for them? And what does that do for you as well? It makes me feel like a little kid. I get so excited <laughs> when I get to see somebody like dance with their friends for the first time or like make a new friend because they're both playing with the same scarf or it's all about that social interaction too. It's eliminating the barrier so that kids with disabilities and kids without them can both enjoy themselves. And it has a lot to do with releasing their inhibitions too and being able to overstep that social boundary. If we can put everybody close to the same playing field, it seems like everyone is happier, including the students that maybe could have already participated. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of power in active representation and involvement. Like for me, working with smaller children and even older children, they see me as a disabled person and they ask all the questions and the little kids are the best. What's wrong with your eyes? And I'm like, my eyes are broken because that's the only way they're going to get it. And they're like, but why are they broken? I'm like, they just are. And they're like, oh, and that's just, that's how it goes. And I think for them, it's an ability to be able to understand differences and to accept differences because they still know, like once they get past that, okay, this is my teacher. And I think for me, when I interact with their parents or with my administrators or with adults or anything like that, it's education and it's breaking those barriers actively through advocacy, but also just by example. Right. And I think there's a lot of power in that. So when you do this, one of the things that's kind of been like a through line through all of these podcasts is that these educational opportunities or these opportunities where all of a sudden, you know, dance or music is attainable for a student mm -hmm. is a huge confidence builder. Why do you think that is? I think it's a huge confidence builder because we all need a way to express ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who you are or what like style of art that you prefer. You need a way to release some of that creative tension. And I think we all find our ways through example. So I love to dance because I got to dance when I was a little kid and you know, we could have people out there that don't know they love to dance until they get to do one of these classes or that don't know how much they love to sing because they haven't been included mm -hmm. yet. Or they're told that they can't. Right. You know, when I was five, I wanted to do ballet and my mom talked to a studio and the lady was like, well, she could fall off the stage. So I don't think that's going to work. Precious, so, you still have a chance. I dance with me. Yes. I just, I never like, and so ever since then, I've been like really weary of dance because I'm like, I, do, do I look silly right now? Like, I don't even know. Like I have no, and like nobody in my family had patience to teach me because they'd be like, you're not doing right. You're not doing, you know? And so I just kind of give up on it. And like, I have fun when I dance, but then I worry about how I look when I'm dancing because I don't have that reference. And so 
I can totally relate to that. And I think with music, when I was working with some nonverbal students and people were like, oh, well, they don't really talk. And then they would start to sing. The more I did the same songs and the same, you know, puppet routines and then read the stories and like, there's this one song that's like, hello, hello, and how are you? And I would have them like clap along to the beat and stomp and turn around and they loved it until eventually they would just go, hello. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> you just sang to me. My day is entirely made right now because it's amazing. It's, it's wonderful when it clicks. You were talking about nonverbal students yeah. and singing and, but you also mentioned like percussionistic involvement, how mm -hmm. they can clap and they can stomp and they yes. can turn around. Like that sounds a lot like dance too. So like, how do you find that you can break barriers like being nonverbal? It was an interesting challenge for me because my feedback from what's around me is very auditory. Right. And for me, that's how I receive a lot of feedback. That's how I'm able, like, I know what somebody's doing in that corner of the room because I know that's where that thing is and I can hear it and I can hear them and they'll talk to me, whatever. But with nonverbal students, I couldn't get the same feedback I was used to. So I had to find new ways to really understand how they were feeling and whether this was working or not. And a lot of their teachers would tell me like, wow, they really love this. You know, this is working. And I would ask, I would ask and say like, do you think this is working? What could I do better? Little by little, I would start noticing them tapping the beat yes. or clapping along to the beat or marching along or like they would yell out what was coming next because it was a routine in the lesson and they knew that. And for them, like, you know, repetition was really important right. in music lessons because I didn't see them every day. I saw them once a week. And so I would do a similar thing and I would switch out like things in between, but there were certain activities I always did. And so they'd be like, oh, where's the cow? Because I have this cow puppet and her name is Mrs. Moo. <laughs> and she like pretends to quack like a duck. And then we're like, no, that's not right, Mrs. Moo. Try again. And then she'll make a chicken noise. And like they think it's the most hilarious thing. But by the end of it, she starts singing happy and you know it in moo form. She's like, moo, 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 moo. <laughs> and then they're like, I'm like, what's that song? And they're like, yeah. And so they like freak out and they sing happy and you know it. I'd come in, I'd walk in the door. I had this one little girl who'd go, I want happy and you know it. And like, she just knew like after the hello song. And then I'd have one kid going, cow, cow. <laughs> and it was just like the most amazing connections because they could understand what was happening. Not only that, but they were excited about it and they enjoyed it. And then we do freeze dance at the end of every class with a song that they liked. You meet them where they are and you connect with them and you connect them to the medium in a way that matters to them. Because then they can go off and explore it from there. You can't have that connection unless you find what connects them to it. I love that. I found that with basically all children, of routine and repetition is key, but yep. it especially reaches kids that are on the spectrum. Like it seems like nonverbal autistic students do really, really well knowing what to expect. Yes. And I think what you're saying really connects to dance too. I love that you do freeze dance at the end. I mean, it's a great way that even like school teachers can get their kids up, release some tension before they have yep. to sit still for another hour. Preschool, we try to do the cleanup song. I'm trying to like incorporate music into the preschool because right now, like the curriculum is inaccessible to me. 
So my co-teacher has to do all of that because I cannot do it. It's just not a thing I can do and access with the students. But I can do music and I can do puppets and I can do like routines and everybody wash your hands and let's get up and, you know, positive energy, positive words, make good choices, all that kind of thing I can do. And so what I've been trying to do is like incorporate like, okay, when they're getting antsy, let's do happy and you know it. Let's do marching and let's sing the cleanup song and walk around to them and have them pick up the toy in five seconds you know it can really be integrated into a lot of different things like dance both of you benefit from the fact that both music and dance are art forms that encourage participation right in a lot of ways and what that kind of does as a byproduct of having these you know engagements with groups is that not only can you build relationships with them, but then they're able to build relationships with each other, maybe a little more so than another art form like dance and music is kind of something that really brings people together, maybe in more of a participative sort of way. Than, we win this ones. contest. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we totally well, I wasn't do. trying to compare apples to apples. <laughs> I was just saying that you definitely have, well, you I think must have the not be a dancer hand. then because it's super fun. I mean. Dance and music is where it's at. Right. We are very lucky. Agreed. Like, it doesn't feel like a job because we just get to play with kids all day and do the things that we love. I yeah. mean, that's how I feel anyway. Yeah. It's high energy and it's a lot. And I'm a very sensitive person and I'm very like, I always say I'm an empath because I really just feed off of energy. And so sometimes I'm like, oh man, this is a lot. But then I realize I'm like, man, if my music career pops off and I end up singing in stadiums and doing this, that, and the other, I'm going to be drained like this too, but I'm going to love it. Right. And I mm-hmm. love it now. And so it's like, I don't want to be happy when this happens or only happy when the next thing happens. I want to be happy right now. I love that. And so I do what I love and I make it a point every day to just take it one step at a time. And I feel like that's all we can really do because no one really has anything figured out. I feel like post-COVID, the world in general has started to really appreciate the arts a little bit more because we were all stuck at home and needed to find ways to let out some of that energy and it seems like now in schools especially they're starting to develop these social and emotional learning techniques that are incorporating music and incorporating dance throughout the day so that they can do those mental health check-ins with kids specifically every single step of that also for a kid involves critical thinking skills you know thinking outside Mm -hmm. the box communicating with other students negotiating like all of those key executive functions sort of things that people are needing to regrow after being isolated it's a lot like everybody is we're all doing our best and so i think kids (laughs) are really struggling and You know, when I was working in Massachusetts in the school, they were like, we really need music. This is so much joy and we need this. When I applied and started working here, they were like, oh man, we love that. They definitely need structure and they need art and all of this. And I'm still finding my place, but I'm very excited to be able to incorporate more arts into the curriculum. Well, and dance and music also teach kids how to be social. And these are a lot of kids that have not been social in a couple of years or at all because... If you think about it, second graders are the ones that are in their first real grade Mm. at public school right now. Before now, it's all been virtual or it's been half a year or it's been... They've missed out on all of those skills that were previously taught in, you know, pre-K, like learning how to share and really like interacting. And now they're just thrown into this full scale environment where they're like, well, I don't know. I just spent all this time at home and I want this toy, so it's mine. And I want this pencil and this and like, they just don't know how to regulate. 
Well, and I think regulate is like a really important word that you just said too. I was literally about to say this, <laughs> um, but like, how can we expect someone to regulate their emotions when they haven't been taught? So they mm-hmm. have to learn to co-regulate before we can self-regulate. And I remember this every time that I'm in traffic and angry, <laughs> it's like, I need to learn how to self-regulate sometimes too. How can we expect a toddler to yeah. know if they've never been in that situation? I think we forget that children don't know what we know. They are tiny humans that need to be nurtured and guided. And it's easy to get frustrated and annoyed and resort to, well, you should know how to do this, that, and the other. They don't. And so they see what they see us doing and that's what they do. And it's important for us to do our best to apologize when we make mistakes and also to guide them in how to self-regulate because if they can't see it in action, then they don't really understand why it's important. Lack of context, lack of those years of of age and experience for a kid makes every single interaction or every milestone like that much more important. So I want to zoom back to Precious when you talked about wanting to dance when you're five Mm. and not being able to because they were afraid you would fall off the stage is what they said. I would wager that in that scenario – it may be safety is a concern, but more than anything, it's the fact that it's going to take additional effort to make a modification to make an experience. But that likely had a formative impact on you being told yeah. no for that. And I think it has just as much to do with the effort of whoever you were trying to work yeah. with, probably even more so, like because it does take effort to make modifications and to make opportunities for people. But it's worth that effort. I think and people so I think, think it's so much harder than it is. Because it's an afterthought, because it's an extra instead of an integrated consideration. And so for me, a lot of my life, I was told I couldn't do this, that, and the other. And my response was always, well, watch me do it then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try me. See what happens. So, But for someone you know, maybe a little less self-motivated right, than you, like, what does that you do for have, them to build themselves? If you don't have the resources, if you don't have the access, because I was lucky enough to have a supportive team of people that knew what I needed to learn and pushed for that and pushed for my services and the resources that I was lucky enough to grow up with to be able to be a successful self-advocate and a successful person with a disability. I think it's hard when you don't have those resources because then you feel like you're on your own and you don't know how to navigate uncharted waters and people that say, oh, well, you can't do this. Okay, well, I guess I can't. And that really makes an impact. So I think There's a lot of things to be said for taking that leap. And I think a lot of it comes with education for parents of children with disabilities, because there are some that just don't have access to the resources either. And they did the best that they could. But as a result, their children don't have access to things that they could or should do or don't know that they're capable of doing. Well, there's just a difference between what's practical and what's convenient. Yeah. Convenient. Convenience. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really big word. The really important word, I well, think. Well, convenient for who? I mean, if you really break it down as a dance teacher, it makes me so mad that somebody told you you can't dance because you might fall off the stage. That's a risk for any child on a stage. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever it, seen a five-year-old walk, they they, oh my gosh. they yeah. stumble around. I mean, but for it, me, I'm like, I'm literally a performer. I'm on stage all the time. You're already up there. Why wouldn't we teach you a couple of steps? It's frustrating <laughs> because it, you were talking about, you know, it's an extra step to make it convenient for the teacher. 
it's not that inconvenient because it no. kind of goes back to and what she was saying. a lot of these actually help everybody. Right. A lot of the modifications help everybody. Like, when I think about that, I'm like, you could put a raised line of tape on the stage so I could feel where the edge was. I can be aware of the space and walk around the space. That's what I have the cane for. That's what I have my body awareness for. Well, walking down the hallway is choreography. And you did that just fine. You were also talking about music awards and how describing what someone is wearing, using descriptor words would help everyone. It's the exact same thing with dance. If I'm trying to teach you a new step, I would probably be saying exactly how to do it for sight-abled people as well. That it would not really have much of a difference, except Mm -hmm. that you might need a cane. That doesn't change a whole lot from a teacher's perspective. And it just sounds like they were trying to push you out the door as quickly as they could. And it's just so frustrating mm-hmm, because people look at us as liability or, and dance should be for everybody. Yeah. And so should music. I mean, art is supposed to be the one place where everybody can come mm-hmm. in and just be themselves and take away from it what they mm-hmm. need. It just really depends on the teachers you interact with. I've heard people say like, Oh, I really didn't like my music class when I was growing up. I, I really didn't like it, but they love music right. or I was going to perform and this teacher said the way my eyes looked was weird. So I don't sing that type of music anymore. It just baffles me. Well, we'll just bundle all those. We'll put them in like the cop out bucket because nowadays going back to the convenience point, this is almost an opportunity to kind of tie in a shameless arts for all Kentucky plug. But (laughs) now and not even just in Kentucky, you know, Precious, you came from Massachusetts. It Mm sounds like there's similar programming as well. But now more than ever, it sounds like there are more educational and engagement opportunities to make arts accessible that are entirely grant funded and supported by as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, thank you, to make those things accessible. So it's like the there is actually more convenience and it makes the barrier towards creating those opportunities even lower. So it's well, like and it also like helps you incorporate different techniques in your own classrooms after we leave, you know, right. like Precious and I are thrilled to do the work that we do. I mean, I speak for you, but I no, feel absolutely. like <laughs> it's like hearing you talk about how passionate you are about music and about children, like we come from the same cloth here, but we're not just teaching something that can be used for one day. We're showing ways that teachers can integrate these facilities later mm-hmm. once we leave. I'm just curious, Precious, for you, people have given you a lot of easy no's mm-hmm. over time. For you and in getting into music, do you remember that kind of first nudge, that first yes, that made music an opportunity for you that's really shaped your life? My official music career did not start till 2016. And that was as a result of my music teacher in high school. It was the start of the music production course. It was the very first course. And he knew I was a songwriter. He, you know, knew that I was really deep into music. And one day he pulled me aside and goes, Precious, I know you have a gift I have a friend who's a producer and I will help you. Do you want to make an album? And we can raise money and we can start a campaign and we can do this, that, and the other. And I was like, what? Like, I I just thought this was a regular Monday. And here we are talking about albums. (laughs) That's amazing. And I think for me, that really kickstarted everything. Because I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it out. I was just doing what I loved and somebody cared enough and saw enough potential to call it out. When a lot of my life 
so many did the opposite. And I had to prove myself every day. So I think that moment was pivotal in my own self-confidence and what I was doing and that I could actually do it. And it was pivotal for my success. That's great. Both of you are getting more and more involved with you know, Arts for All Kentucky. What are your hopes for the future, for your ideal you know, engagements with students, eye-opening opportunities? What are you looking forward to with the organization? I've done several like field day alternatives at elementary schools, and that is one of my favorite opportunities that I've had so far. And I'd love to do more things like that. Field day in general is not super accessible to mm. lots of different kids for so many different reasons. And I love the idea of like offering an alternative where uh, we can have a safe environment to still play and have fun and play games and dance and express ourselves, but without some of like the overstimulating environment and like making sure that we're in a safe environment too. That's a really big part of it. But also knowing that if I go into a, a school and teach an elementary age kid a dance class that they want to come and take a real other dance class with me too. Like that has been eye opening. I've noticed that I have several students specifically with down syndrome that will take a class with me for festival of the arts at sky pack and then seek me out because they want to take more and like bringing them into a class with kids that don't have that same different ability. Like that is a really special experience because children in and of themselves, they don't care about differences. Children usually are not the ones that make such a fuss about this stuff. It's the adults that say, you can't do this. You're different. Uh, So I really look forward to working more with kids and like helping mold the next generations to come into realizing that we all have different abilities and a disability doesn't mean you can't do something. It means you're going to do it differently. And I really resonate with that, like really giving back to the next generations and showing them other disabled students that you can do what you want to do because I'm a disabled educator and I'm here able to teach you while I do what I love. Sure. It's not easy. I would never say that, but it's worth it. And just being able to be that example and to be multifaceted myself as an artist, you know, I foresee really working with all different kinds of children and being able to like educate administrators and teachers about disability through arts and just about disabled educators and what I need to be able to do what I love and to be able to teach and do all of the things that I should be able to do and I feel like a lot of it intertwines with each other and I'm just very excited because the truth is I really don't know what's going to (laughs) happen, but I'm excited for what the potential for what could happen. And I'm just very excited to be a part of such a wonderful organization. Me too. One thing I kind of want to expand on real quick and we'll wrap up is the idea of ability and that I would wager and y'all feel free to disagree if this doesn't sound (laughs) sound right, but I think And one of the things, and I'll use kind of some anecdotal evidence just from all of the different art, you know, teaching artists and parents that we've talked to through this podcast, but each of those, you know, encounters, whether they're a workshop or a residency, whatever they are, one of the things that comes up every time is that it really levels the playing field for everybody, because when it comes to the arts and self-expression, everybody is a varying ability. So during a lot of these, we'll hear that the students who have a disability, for example, are 
generally a little more open-minded and more creative and, you know, pushing towards something where you're more traditionally able student is maybe not as good in that sort of scenario. So it really levels the playing field. So I think the arts has the opportunity in that to just kind of even challenge the nature of what we mean by ability Right. As soon as we enter an arts mm-hmm. context. I've noticed that neurodiverse students and like students that have these disabilities and different abilities, they are way more open to try new things. They have less inhibitions, less social anxiety when it comes to expressing themselves yeah. because they really need this. They need this outlet. So some of the best dancers I've taught have been students with Down syndrome. Something about the way that they can interact with music and the way that their brains work, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed some real performers come out of these Skypack Festival of the Arts days, and it's it's remarkable. I honestly will go in not expecting anything because my lesson plan can change yeah. depending on who's in the class. I can walk in and expect that we're going to do all of these things and All they want to do is play with the scarves and that's okay because part of being a teacher for arts for all or for anything is being adaptable. Yes. But they teach me things every time. I mean, I've noticed for sure that students that are on the spectrum, students that have Down syndrome, students that are in wheelchairs Mm -hmm. can be some of the best dancers with the best musicality. Yeah. I think perspective is so important in that regard too. Like, you know, people will ask me, well, what's your biggest challenge as a blind person? And I'm like, people's perceptions, right? That's (laughs) it. That is it. That is the issue for all of us with disabilities is what people perceive that we're capable of or not capable of people who perceive what we, what they think we need and what we don't need. We are the experts of what we need. And as disabled individuals, I can speak for myself as the blind person that I am, but I cannot speak for every blind person. Right. And I think that's something that not everybody remembers. <laughs> well, and how convenient is it to literally just ask someone what they need? Right. I mean, it, it is. You mean we have to talk to people? Right. Yeah. Well, you just, ask questions, You have to communicate with people? Like, ask. If you don't know ask because I would rather you not assume and then me get really annoyed because you're assuming that I can't do a thing that I actually can do and then I'm having to prove myself and advocate all the time and granted I love educating people I do it every day and I do it when I can but I'm a human and sometimes I don't want to (laughs) we really like educating children it's the yeah again it's the adults adults that are the difficult part the kids are the best kids don't don't notice. <laughs> the other day I had a little girl walk out. She gave me a hug. And then the mom told me who she was. She goes, yeah, that's the teacher with the broken eyes. And I was like, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about me you want to tell her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, is there anything else you guys want to mention related to arts education, ability, arts for all that we haven't touched on before we wrap up? I feel honored that I get to be a part of this. It's a really big deal. I think that this is something that should be instituted in every school. Mm-hmm. Every school should have this in their special ed program and in their special arts program. I think PE should incorporate dance and music. And there's no reason that any child should be left out of an arts program, yeah. depending on their ability or disability. It it should be universal. Yeah, I think... This is the start of something monumental, and I'm just excited to be a part of that. 
Thank you all for tuning into Arts for All Kentucky Stories. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to showcase our artists and students and parents, families impacted by Arts for All Kentucky, and to talk more about how the arts is an opportunity that's unifying uh, and inclusive for those with disabilities. Again, we'd like to thank the Kentucky Arts Council and the Kentucky Department of Education Office for Special Education and Early Learning for making all of this possible. We invite you to follow us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Spotify or YouTube, where we release the podcast to stay up to date with new releases. Again, my name is Sam Kirby, and thanks for the opportunity to host this show.